Over the last few weeks, we've been studying through the book of Nehemiah, looking at this idea that what Nehemiah brought to the Jewish people, to the culture of the day, was this, this reboot, a reboot that we so desperately need in our world today. And so Nehemiah chapter 1, his heart is broken with this call to reboot his society. Chapter 2, he has to go and get permission from the king. He has to be bold and big and brave and courageous to get it. Chapter 4 and 5, they actually go. They start getting to work. They start making it happen. Today I want to share some stories from chapter 4 and chapter 6 that kind of make the process a little bit harder than it needs to be. All projects come with problems. You know that, right? We experience that. But the big projects, the projects that involve God and the projects that involve people, because of the brokenness of people, involve problems with people coming from problematic people. And so today, as we look at Nehemiah's journey, I don't want to focus on the problematic people because I think we all know enough about them, but I want to focus on how Nehemiah dealt with problematic people who were creating problems for them. When conflict comes, when we feel threatened, when we want to hide and dismiss people and reject people, doing so causes us to miss out on some of God's deepest, most transformative blessings and work in our life. And I think we see that dynamic at play in Nehemiah. First vignette is found in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. If you got your Bible, you can turn to it. If you want to pull up your phone and find it there, you can. Nehemiah chapter 4 starts off by talking about this guy, Sambalat, who has been a, a constant tormentor from the very beginning of this process. They've done their homework, they've been working diligently, things are getting done, and now Sambalat is getting really, really mad. He heard that all systems would go on building the wall, and it says he became furious. Previously, he'd been frustrated, but now he was moving to the next level. He was moving from frustration to fury. But he didn't know what to do with his anger, with his bitterness, with his frustration, with his fury. But this is a guy who's got a little bit of power, and angry people with power can be a very dangerous thing. He commands an army. And so he decides, verse 2, that he's going to stand before his colleagues 
and before the powerful men of Samaria and start to throw some shade on the guy who's making things happen. Now, again, throughout the story, Sambalat has always been there prodding and pushing and annoying. But now it's almost like he takes his private frustrations public. But he doesn't really have much to accuse Nehemiah of. He doesn't really have any facts that he can point to that what's happening is bad. So he decides to do what many adversaries do. He starts to throw suspicion. He starts to mock. He starts to bark because he really doesn't have any bite. But he's standing before this army, and it must have been pretty intimidating when this news got back to Nehemiah and the Jews. Because he doesn't have any facts, he starts to mock and he starts to manipulate. He says this, What are these pathetic Jews doing? He's belittling their qualities. He's saying these pathetic Jews don't know what they're doing. A word for pathetic in its original is feeble. He's blaspheming against God, saying the people of God, they got no strength. It reveals that he doesn't understand the God who uses feeble people for great works. Can they restore it by themselves, he says. He's deriding their ambition. He's saying that their goals are worthless. Will they offer a sacrifice? See, the plan was all along that Jerusalem could be restored so that people could worship. And he's saying, they'll never get there. They'll never be able to complete what they've started. You can imagine the soldiers who were were listening to this, laughing along, joining the, the mockery, because that's how it works, right? Someone throws out some malicious rumor. They start teasing and they start mocking. When someone with authority does that, the people around them start mocking as well. You can imagine the army was just laughing. Will they ever finish it? Can they bring back these Stones to life. It reveals that Sambalat does not know the God that is working for and with Nehemiah. Because the God who's working with Nehemiah is the same God who can bring stones back to life. Because he's the same God who would later bring his son back to life. And is the same God who brings us back to life. Sambalat is mocking Nehemiah and his work, but he knows not of who he is mocking. Laughter fills the auditorium as all these powerful soldiers start laughing and mocking 
what Nehemiah is doing. To add to that, there's this guy, Tobiah, an Amorite. He thinks he'll just kind of surf the wave of all this mockery and and laughter. And he says, guess what? The wall that they're building is so weak that a fox could climb up it and their building would break down. And everybody laughs. Because Sambalat and Tobiah are mocking. Do you ever have people like that in your life? People who just want to laugh at you. People who will mock your dreams and your hopes. And in doing so, people who will mock your God. This gets back to Nehemiah. But Nehemiah has one simple response to their mocking. He prays. A whole battalion of soldiers are laughing at him. This project that he's given himself to means nothing to them. And all he does is simply go to God in prayer. He says this, verse 4, Listen, our God, because people despise us. They make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plundered to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. You see what he does here? When he's mocked, he simply prays, God, would you do to these people as you want to do to them? What he's acknowledging is that this mockery is not between Sambalat and him. It's between the mockers and God. So his role is not to fight back with those who are mocking His role is simply to turn that over to God because Sambalat's beef is not with Nehemiah, it's actually with God. That same dynamic so often happens with us. People will mock us, not because they're mad at us, but because they've got pain in their own life that they want to get mad at God with, but because they can't see God, they will get mad at us. The problem is that so often we take the bait and get mad back. Does that make sense? And so as people mock us, when really they're mocking God, we pick up that offense that actually belongs to God and we fight back and it escalates. And so they fight back and it escalates. And so we fight back and it escalates. But Nehemiah is not going to play that game. He says, they're mocking. They don't think it's going to work. They think I'm a fool, but I've been called by God. And therefore, if I've been called by God and they're calling me a fool, they're actually calling God a fool, and I'm going to let God deal with that. People mock us for all kinds of reasons. 
But my experience is that people who mock don't normally have a problem with us. They normally have a problem with themselves. And so the best thing that we can do is not fight back, but turn it over to God. If you've got a problem with God, well, then you and God work it out. I'm not going to get in the middle of that. Because if I do, I'll probably just make it worse. These people are mocking Nehemiah. This first problem that he experiences is one of mockery. And as they mock, he says, this isn't about me, so I'm just going to pray and ask that God would sort it out with them. What's he going to do? Verse 6, well, we're just going to go back to work. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. They were halfway there. Then he says this, for the people had the will to keep working. For the people had the will to keep working. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone laughs at me, when someone wants to mock me, often what I want to do is one, fight back rather than let God fight for me. But secondly, I want to go and hide. But something incredible is happening here. As they are mocked, they don't run from that. They let that mockery motivate them. One of the ways that Nehemiah overcame problems and overcame problem people was that he let the mockery of others motivate him to do what he had to do before God. Does that make sense? If someone is saying to you, you can't, you shouldn't, you won't, you're not, we should not hide from that mockery. We should let that mockery motivate us to keep going. The people had the will to keep working. This mockery strengthened their desire to get it done. When you're going about your life and your projects and your purpose, firstly, Nehemiah teaches us that we must let mockery motivate us. Second story. Flip over the page, turn down the screen to chapter 6. We move here from this idea of mockery to blatant manipulation. Let me tell you the story here. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, and all the rest of the enemies, this gang of enemies, had seen that the wall was rebuilt and there was no gap in it. It wasn't quite finished, it says at the end of the verse 1, but it was nearly there. And so this gang of enemies are now really, really mad. And so they devise a plan to manipulate him. Verse 2, Sambalat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the village of the Ono Valley. 
Nehemiah knew they were planning to harm him. What's happening here? You've got this guy, Sambalat, who's been a jerk throughout the whole process, who puts on this face to say, hey, how about we become friends? How about we meet in the valley and, you know, we'll just work things out. But the reality was the plan in the valley wasn't to work things out. The plan in the valley was to kidnap him and then probably kill him, both of which would have slowed down and stopped the work. The Ono Valley was about a day away halfway between Jerusalem and Samaria. The meeting would probably have taken another day. Then it's another day back. Nehemiah sent a message back, verse 3, saying, I'm doing some important work, so I'm not going to come down. Why should this work cease and I leave it and come down to you? He's a man who has his priorities straight, right? He doesn't want to play this game. He doesn't want to fall into this trap because that would mess up the timeline of what God is calling him to do. This would be a dangerous distraction. It's almost like to this invitation to go to the valley of, oh no, Nehemiah says, oh no, I'm not going. But these folks are pretty manipulative. Read this in verse 5, verse 4, sorry. Four times they sent me the same proposal, and I sent them the same reply. It's not just like they, they asked him, and he said no, and that was it. They came back four times and asked him, and then the fifth time, they raised the bar. Sambalat, verse 5, sent me the same message a fifth time by his aide, who this time had an open letter in his hand. An open letter means that anybody could read it, and it would be read frequently. This is what it said. It is written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king and even set up prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf. There is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king. So come on, let's confer together. You see how the manipulation gets worse? They say we're raising the bar because the king knows what you're up to. And we're making up this story about what you're up to, that the king's starting to believe. And so you really should come and talk to us, because if you do, we'll be able to kind of turn, turn things around. This is, this is manipulative and evil. It's manipulative and evil. It's interesting that in this letter they reference rumors and they... And these people think, have you ever heard those kind of rumors? And sometimes you just want to say, well, who are they? (laughs) Who are these people that you reference? And the reality is, in this case, they didn't exist. They were just trying to manipulate. But Nehemiah, verse 8, was strong. He said, there is nothing to these rumors that you are spreading. 
you are inventing them in your own mind. For they are trying to intimidate us, saying that they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. But now, my God, would you strengthen my hand? Initially, Nehemiah was mocked and he let that mocking motivate him. Now he is manipulated and he lets that manipulation strengthen him. He says, God, I see these people. There's no truth in what they're saying. There's nothing they're doing here. So I'm going to strengthen myself to do what you've called me to do. Part of me understands the, the thought process that he's going through here. He says, there's absolutely no truth in what they're saying. But they're trying to make something up to ruin my reputation. And if my reputation is ruined, then they'll think that I can't do it anymore. Nehemiah is able to reject this challenge to his reputation because he knows that his character is intact. So many people, so often, we do it all the time. We try to protect our reputation. But we shouldn't spend time protecting our reputation. We should spend the time working on our character. Because if our character is intact, then our reputation will take care of itself. Nehemiah was able to sidestep this manipulation and move forward with strength because he knew who he was. He knew his character. This week I got a phone call from a lady who wanted some help from the church. And she wanted the kind of help, one that we weren't able to offer because it was too much, and the kind of help, honestly, that wouldn't have been good for her. And so after a long conversation, I, I said to her, look, we can help this much, but we can't help this much. And here's why. And she didn't like my answer, so she started manipulating. She started trying to get more money from me. And like Nehemiah, for the first part, I stayed pretty strong. But then she said, well, I got a, I got a podcast. And I'm going to use my podcast to talk about how selfish you are as a person. And how your church doesn't want to help. And part of me starts to think, oh my goodness, we've worked so hard to be a church that does help. I've worked hard to, to, um, to, to live this character that wants to help people and, and be generous. And she's going to ruin it all by her podcast. And then I realized, hang on a second. I cannot live in fear about what people will say about my reputation. I can only control my character. And if I control my character, then God will take care of the reputation. What's happening here is that Nehemiah is trying to be manipulated. But he's saying, no, no, no. I got to do what God is calling me to do. I got to keep my character before God and focus on that. And so he found the strength 
to turn the manipulation into a win. When we encounter problems and difficulties, when mockery comes, we let it motivate us. When manipulation comes, we let it strengthen us. Thirdly, finally, there's another problem that comes his way, starting at verse 10. He gets his call to go to this house of this guy called Shemaiah. Shemaiah said that in this moment, he was stuck in his home because he'd been a friend of Sambalat, but now he realized he was wrong and he wanted to be a friend of Nehemiah. But it wasn't real. That they set up this elaborate trap. He sends this note to Nehemiah, let's meet at God's house inside the temple. We'll be able to, to talk there. We'll be able to be safe there. There's no way Sam Ballot's going to come after us there. We should go and hide in the temple doors because they're going to kill you. And in fact, Nehemiah, they're coming to kill you tonight. What's happening here is that as well as being manipulated and as well as being mocked, Nehemiah is now being intimidated. That established this fake prophet who even though he was on the side of the enemy, tried to bribe Nehemiah by saying, hey, I'm on your team now. Let me give you a little bit of information. They're going to kill you and they're going to do it tonight. We got to go and hide. We'll hide in the temple. We'll be safe there. Nehemiah is a wise man. Verse 11, he says this, and I love it. Some of us need to hear this verse loud and clear. But I said, should a man like me run away? Should a man like me run away from intimidation? And he answered his own question and he said, absolutely not. Well, what does he mean when he says, should a man like me? He's talking about a man who is called by God. He's talking about a man who has led the work of God forward. He's talking about a man who has a commission and a calling from God to fulfill. And he's saying, because God is for me, there is no way that I should run from here. Should a man like me run away? No way. If I go to the temple, I'm not going to come out alive. He says this, I will not go. I realize that God has sent this false prophet to speak against me. In the verse 12, you see what happened? Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. 13, he was hired so that I would be intimidated. intimidated. 
If I do as he suggested sin, I would get a better reputation in order that they could discredit me. I think what's happening here is that as the enemy tries to intimidate, he's not cowering from that. He's letting that intimidation embolden him. There are people who will mock us, and we must use that to motivate us. There are people who will manipulate, but we must use that to strengthen us. There are people who will try to intimidate, but we must let that embolden us. A few years ago, I was at the crew office, Campus Crusade for Christ. And a friend of mine who's pretty high up there gave me a little tour, and they took me into the office of Bill Bright. Bill had died several years before, but they'd maintained his office. It's one of God's generals. Many people came to faith and trust in Christ because of his ministry. Hundreds of countries were touched because of his influence. He met with presidents and leaders and kings. He was a pretty impressive guy, was Dr. Bright. But on his desk, he had this little sign that said, I am not a grasshopper. I'm like, what, what does that mean? And so I asked. And, and it was a reference to when the spies were sent to check out the promised land, and there were all these, these big, intimidating people here, and most of the spies came back and said, hey, we're just grasshoppers. But Moses knew that God had prepared that place for them and said, we're not going to act like grasshoppers because God is with us and God has called us and therefore we're going to go in and do what God has said. And Bill Bright, this man who met with presidents and kings and world leaders, needed to be reminded he is not a grasshopper. And so often we need to be reminded we are not a grasshopper. And so often we need to hear, should someone like me run away? And the answer is no. We let intimidation embolden us. Whenever we're working on a project for God, there will be people who oppose us. But let mockery motivate and let manipulation strengthen and let intimidation embolden us. Because if God is for us, then who can be against us? No weapon formed against us can stand because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. There are lots of ways 
that many are trying to derail the work of God in our day. Some do it by mocking. But we must let mockery motivate. Some do it by manipulation. But we must stand strongly against that. Some undermined by intimidation. But we let that provide us with the courage that comes from knowing the king who is in charge. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, life is never as easy as it feels like it should be. There are things that trip us up and bring us down. There are people who mock and manipulate and intimidate. But we don't belong to them. We belong to you. So, Lord Jesus, as we go about your work in this world, would you motivate us? Would you strengthen us? And would you give us courage? Because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Lord, we commit ourselves to you, to your purpose, to your plans, to the reboot and renewal that you want to bring. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.